Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. To places of faith, and there's only one way we do that. It's only through focusing on the facts. Uh, facts like who God is, what God's done, and what God has promised to do. Uh, that we do that. We're going to look at very, one very specific, one central theme in this psalm, uh, one fact about who God is and what God's done and what God's promised to be for us, and that is grace. God is a God of grace. Amen. And um, this, this uh, psalm, Psalm chapter 32, it's the second of seven uh, penitential psalms. Like, psalms have different genres. Some are praise songs, some are thanksgiving psalms, uh, some are lament psalms. Well, a penitential psalm is, is when um, the writer, usually David, is expressing uh, grief, confessing his sin, uh, uh, repentance, uh, an expression of forsaking his sin. So this is the second of seven. One of the most famous ones is Psalm chapter 51. Uh, that might be a familiar psalm to you. It it's a, gives us a great model of how we should approach God when we realize that we are uh, in sin and, and how we can confess that to him and turn from sin and repent of that. It's probably the psalm that David wrote uh, after being convicted of Nathan, by Nathan the prophet uh, of his sin with Bathsheba, the adulterous relationship he had of, of murdering her husband Uriah. And uh, what a beautiful psalm that is. And if that psalm is the request for forgiveness, then Psalm 32 here is the result of David receiving forgiveness. Psalms are not necessarily chronological. Some of these might have been written. We've already read ones that were written very end at the very end of David's life. And so I think that's probably true of this one. When David experiences forgiveness, when you and I experience forgiveness following Psalm 51's pattern. This is what we experience here in Psalm 32. It's a Psalm of David. It says in the superscript there, that little, uh, usually in italics, contextual information section, we have a Psalm of David. He's a human author that God inspired to pen every word in this song. And then it says uh, uh, maskil, and that's a Hebrew word probably meaning uh, a psalm of contemplation or instruction. It teaches us what uh, we're supposed to do. Uh, those are good things. They're, they're songs that are um, still theocentric, meaning God-centered, uh, but maybe not a song like really to God. We sing hymns like that. We sing How Great Thou Art. Who are we talking to when we sing that? God, right? We're telling him how great he is. Uh, but we also sing songs like At Calvary, uh, where we're, we're singing it to God still, but it's more of a testimony song. We've got other ones like that, uh, Victory in Jesus, When We All Get to Heaven. Uh, we're singing them to God, but really it's a testimony of what he's done in our lives, and we're encouraging each other, and that's what Psalm 32 is. Uh, let's read. It's an excellent, encouraging uh, testimony song here. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. And I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee, in a time when thou mayest be found. And surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as a horse or as a mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we look into this psalm that you've uh, given us uh, about when we can experience your grace, when we experience forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ, when we confess our sin, when we repent of our sin, uh, all the blessings that we receive from that. I pray that if we find ourselves, even tonight, in a place of sin, we would be motivated that your Holy Spirit, using your word here tonight, would help us to turn from that sin and receive your full and free forgiveness. In the days ahead, I pray that this psalm would come to mind when we find ourselves in a place of sin. Uh, God, that we can carry this to, to people around us who are in bondage to sin and in bondage to guilt, experiencing the same things David talks about here, and then help them to see the salvation that's in Jesus Christ, the grace that's in Jesus Christ, the grace that's greater than all our sin, a wonderful, matchless grace, an amazing grace. God, help us to see all those things tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Results of grace, verses 1 to 4. David gets right to it. Don't you like that? He's not going to tell you right off the bat. You know, it's important to have grace. He tells you this is what grace provides in verses 1 and 2. Blessed, or how happy, if you've got a modern translation, it might say that. How happy or blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed, or how happy is a man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. The first result of grace that we can know is happiness. That was something we all want, isn't it? I mean, we've got in our founding documents as a nation, certain unalienable rights, among them the life, a right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You want to know where to find happiness? David says it's right here in verses 1 and 2. Blessed or how happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. He's going to use two other words for sin in verse 2. He's using a couple. The first one he uses in verse 1 is transgression, meaning rebellion. It's, it is a happy thing to have your rebellion forgiven. The word forgiven there is in Hebrew is nasah. We came across that word a couple psalms ago when it talked about lifting up our hands in praise. And that word there, lifting, was nasah, uh, to lift or carry. That's what God does to your sins. When you repent of them, when, when you trust in, in the free and full forgiveness, the grace that we have from God through Jesus Christ, he lifts and carries away your sins. That's a happy thing. Uh, whose sin is covered. He's covered your sins. The blood of Jesus Christ has done that. Verse 2, happiness comes from a person uh, to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Iniquity there, another word for sin, but really talking about a legal verdict of guilt. Because of your sin, you're guilty before God. You're deserving of his punishment. But you'll be happy if he doesn't impute that 
status to you. He's going to talk later about uh, what it means when uh, instead he imputed that to Jesus Christ and he imputed his record to us. And, and in whose spirit there is no guile. These verses are instructional for us. It's a mascal uh, on, on how a holy God, how he can remove sin from very unholy people. Four different words describing sin there. Uh, He's talking really about this blessed doctrine we find in Romans called justification, especially when he says they're imputing not iniquity. To be justified before God, a legal, legal verdict declared where God looks at you and he looks at me, and even though our life was full of sin because we trusted in Jesus Christ, his blood has taken care of every sin. It's been uh, forgiven. It's been covered. It's not been imputed to us. It's imputed instead to Christ on the cross. Uh, justification that by God's grace and only through faith in Jesus Christ, you and I can be declared righteous before God. That's an amazing truth. I want you to hold your place here and turn with me to Romans chapter 3. All right, we'll be right back here in Psalm 32. But Paul spends a lot of times in the first 11 chapters of Romans, he's going to detail what the gospel of Jesus Christ is in 11 chapters. But in Romans chapter 3, uh, I want to start in verse 21, and we'll look at a few verses here and then a few in Romans 4. But Romans chapter 3, verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by what? By faith in Jesus Christ. Unto all them that what? Believe. For there's no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God set forth. God set forth Jesus to be a propitiation, a satisfying atonement that covers our sin uh, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this, uh, at this time his righteousness that he might be just, that God might be just. He can, how can a holy God forgive sin from unholy people? Jesus Christ. Nobody got away with that sin. Your sin, my sin was dumped on Jesus Christ. All right, so God is still just, but he's also the justifier of him which what? Believeth, which believeth in Jesus. So where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith. By faith. Now, in chapter 4, verse 2. He's going to give an Old Testament example here. He's probably speaking to Jews, Paul, uh, here in, in, in Romans. He says, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? This, and he's going to quote Genesis here. Abraham believed God, and it was counted. Same word as imputed. It was imputed unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. If my salvation is because of any good works that I do, uh, that's not grace, that's an exchange. And that's not how we're saved. Uh, verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, that's who I was, I'm, that's who I am, ungodly, outside of Jesus Christ, but because I believe in his grace, because I have faith in his grace, he justifies you and I. His faith is counted 
for righteousness. It's imputed. Same word again. They're imputed. Now he's going to quote Psalm 32, verse 6. Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. One of my favorite phrases in this book is in verse 16. How are we saved? Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. Praise the Lord, it's of faith. Praise the Lord, I don't have to work for my salvation. Jesus did it all. It's not about what I do, it's about what he has done for me. Let's go back to Psalm 32, because this is what, what uh, Paul is telling us in Romans. This is what David's telling us, inspired by God here in Psalm 32. Uh, he's talking about justification. He's saying, my rebellion, uh, my sin, my guilt, uh, the deserved punishment for that, all of that was imputed or dumped on Jesus Christ on the cross. And by faith in who he is and what he's done for us there, his righteousness, it's imputed to me. That's an astounding thing, isn't it? Oh, what an exchange. <laughs> Jesus took my sin and the punishment for it, and I get his record. He took mine, I get his by faith, and that's a result of grace, Dublin First Baptist. I can't think of anything in this world that can make a person happier. And that's what David says here in verses one and two. How happy, are you happy tonight for that? I'm happy for that. Oh my goodness. Verse two, in whose spirit is no guile, meaning deceit. They're not deceitful. They're not trying to hide their sin. They're, not, they're just being humbly honest open before God saying, you know what, I can't work my way there. I can, but praise God, I don't have to. <laughs> praise God, it's by your grace and, and by faith in Jesus Christ. No more trying to hide my sin. No more trying to minimize uh, my need for grace. No more attempts at creating a covering. We're tempted so often to do that. Isn't that what Adam and Eve did? Right away. Hid from God. Let me sew some fig leaves together. Not very good. That covering won't work. Just being open, just being honest before God because he's covered it. He's covered it in his blood. That's what verse 1 said, whose sin is covered. Now, when you have that kind of happiness, here's the second result of grace. You have healing. Without grace, without you and I accessing God's grace by faith or appropriating it in our lives, uh, our experience is that of verses 3 and 4. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My moisture was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. This is our experience. This is the reality of man's experience when he doesn't depend on God's grace by faith. When he tries to work, when he tries to cover his sin, uh, it's our reality prior to coming to faith in Christ. If you're a Christian, this is, you know, this is your reality before that. It, it's even, in a sense, our reality as, as believers when we don't continue in faith the same way we came. And that's what David says here. I mean, he, he was a believer. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, um, probably, in, you know, in light of Psalm 51, where he confesses that sin uh, of adultery with Bathsheba and murder of, of Uriah, uh, it's probably about a, a year from the time he did it to the time Nathan came to him and said, thou art the man. And you know what David did immediately when Nathan told him that? Broke down and humble contrite confession before God. He couldn't, he couldn't hide it. He spent a year trying to cover it. <laughs> he said, no more. There's no freedom there. There's no happiness. There's no healing. My bones waxed old. I was dried out. Your hand, God, was heavy upon me. You know, um, e even that, is a grace of God, isn't it, in the life of a believer and bringing you to Christ? I don't know if you felt that. I've heard people uh, talk about when they got saved and it was at a revival meeting and they were gripping the pew and, and God's hand was heavy upon them, moving them. 
That's the Holy Spirit using God's word to do it. That's grace right there. It might not have felt good at the time, but it sure felt good when you let it off on Jesus, didn't it? When he gave you new life, when he forgave your sins. Uh, even that, even that heavy hand, even that dry parcel, even the, the bones, our, our very bones waxing. You know, that's the thing. When we sin, it's not just a spiritual thing. It's not just an eternal thing. It has emotional effects. David talked about that in Psalm 31. He's doing it again here in Psalm 32. When I didn't do uh, what you asked me to, when I wouldn't be humble enough to confess my sin and, and repent of it and receive your forgiveness, when I wouldn't embrace your grace, when I tried to hide it, it ruined me emotionally, physically. Uh, and he says, Selah, a musical term we find in the Psalms that's like, stop the music and just think on what I just said. Happiness comes from grace. Uh, suffering, physical suffering, comes from not embracing grace. Uh, think on what, what, what I just said. Um, it, we're moved here not to be silent before God. When we're silent before God, we're not really silent. David says, I was roaring. I was roaring inside um, until I turned to you. Let's look at the resources of grace in verses 5 to 7. The first, the, the provision of grace in verse 5. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, mine iniquity I have not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And when that happened, what does God do? He does what he's always done, what he's promised to do, what Jesus won for us. He forgives the iniquity of our sin. Selah. This is the gospel. I love the gospel. Uh, this is good news. That's what gospel means, that you and I can be justified. We can be declared righteous before a holy God. We can have our rebellion forgiven. We can have our sin covered, transferred to Christ, have his righteousness transferred to our account before God. We can receive new life. We can receive eternal life. No more roaring of body and spirit, just, just a peace, a happiness, a healing that comes from God. Now, he uses the word iniquity here in verse 5. Again, this is, this is guilt, but we're not talking about the feeling of guilt as much as we're talking about the reality of it, a legal declaration. You stand before a holy God when you sin and you have not repented of it. You stand condemned. Uh, this is what, what iniquity is. And he says, I'm not hiding it anymore. I'm telling you, I need you. It's not hid. I'm not covering it anymore. See, that's the thing we can do. We can try to cover it or we can see how God has covered it. God's covered it in the blood of Jesus Christ. Why would we try to cover it anymore? It's covered in the blood. Uh, he says, I haven't hit it. This resource of grace, it's provided to us, uh, or how we access it. Grace is how we're saved, but how we grab a hold of that, how we receive it, is only one way. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. He says, I've acknowledged it, uh, my sin to thee. I haven't hit it. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave. That's what you do. Confessing is just simply this, seeing your sin as God sees it. That it's a terrible thing. It's not a whoopsie. It was outright rebellion against God. It's hard to think that way. Uh, it's, it's humble to think that way, but it's healing to think that way. When we see our sin as God sees it, and we can turn from it by his grace, uh, and in faith in Jesus Christ, that's what's described here. It's what David's uh, son, Solomon, uh, tells us in Proverbs 28, 13. Very wise man, and he said this, he that covers his sins shall not prosper. Because here's the thing, you're not covering them. You're not. Uh, you won't prosper. But whoever confesses them, whoever sees them as God sees them, whoever forsakes them, they shall have mercy. That's what Solomon tells us. Now in verse 6, it says, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when you may be found. All right. Um, 
This is to be our response when we come to Christ. Maybe it was that moment you remember, think back right now, when you first trusted in Jesus as Savior, you heard this good news that he'll forgive your sins. All right, do you remember that time? That's good news. And this is what you're to do. All right, you're to pray this prayer. That's how you accepted Christ as Savior. That's when you decided to follow him. You confessed your sins, you put your trust in Jesus. It's not just how you come to faith in Christ. It's how Christians continue in faith in Christ when they sin. Do we sin? We do. Sinners saved by grace. That's who we are, isn't it? And um, I think we've got to get with that reality if we're going to follow his prescription for how to continue in Christ. When we find ourselves in sin, we do the very same thing, just like David is right here. Uh, he says, for this shall everyone that is godly. Godly people need to pray this prayer. I've got sin, God. I've got sin. And um, I'm not going to hide it no more. I'm done with that. I'm going to confess it to you, and, and you're going to forgive it because that's who you are. You need the gospel, Christian. Um, I need the gospel. Uh, we, we don't leave the gospel. He says, in a time when you may be found, David pleads right here, don't neglect God's grace. Don't delay. If, if he's pulling on you, you know, even that heavy hand you might feel uh, under conviction of sin, that, that roar in a body and spirit, uh, there's only one way to turn from that. Uh, that lack of vitality, that drought, that's the convicting grace of God that's either saying come or it's saying come back and then, and then stay put. Uh, Isaiah 55, 6 says this, a prophet there says, seek the Lord while he may be found, just like he says here, in a time when thou mayest be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Do you know that's what God wants to do? It's not like he's a begrudging person trying to give out grace. He wants to dump grace on you. He's a God who loves mercy, loves to dole it out. He asks us to be the same way in Micah 6 eight. It's what God desires to do is be merciful to you. It's what he delights in doing, and that's ours. It's ours if we'll access and appropriate his grace by faith. It gives us protection as well. In the second part of verse 6, it says, Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Uh, verse 7, Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. This is very familiar phrases that David often uses. Usually he's talking about enemies that were trying to get him. All right? Not here. Not in the context of this psalm. He's talking about the enemy that was himself, the enemy that's not willing to turn to God for forgiveness, not willing to be humble. Uh, it's God's grace that prevents those floods. It's God's grace that uh, provides a hiding place from that sin. Uh, it's, it's embracing grace. This is what he's calling on us to do. It protects us. He used, in verse 7, hiding place. That's one of David's favorite uh, little idioms, all right? And hiding there means uh, covering. Hebrew word, sether, and it's a covering. I mean, this, we're hearing covering over and over from verse 1 uh, till now. Don't cover your sins. Uh, he's got your sins covered. And here, this hiding place is a covering, and that's what grace is. That's all that grace is to us. It's a covering that we might have a relationship with God. We're promised here in verses 6 and 7 a protection, uh, a pres preservation from trouble. God actually surrounding us with songs of deliverance, songs like we just sang tonight at Calvary, a song about God's amazing grace to us. And then he says uh, there again in verse 7, Selah. Now that's something we need to pause, stop the music, think on what God's done for us. We've been forever preserved 
Uh, we've been forever hidden in the palm of his hand. Uh, I love that old uh, hymn, uh, I am his and he is mine. Uh, that's, the, that's the truth for the believer. His forever, only his. Who in me the Lord shall part? No one. I'm his. And this is what David says, you've hid me. Uh, you've, you've protected me. You're going to save me from trouble. In fact, you're going to surround me, compass me with songs of deliverance. It's probably why we sing them so many times, because we love them. Now the revelation of grace in verses 8 to 12. Uh, a lot of commentators, Ryrie, Walford, ones I read all the time when I'm trying to prepare uh, sermons, is uh, they think that verse 8, beginning verse 8, David's talking to us. When he says, I will uh, instruct thee, I think they're right. Even if it is God, God's using David to give this message. David's been given a song of testimony here, so why wouldn't he continue? He's like, listen to me. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with my eye. Definitely true about God. God, but definitely true about uh, God's man David and what he's trying to communicate to us. This is a testimony of a, a caring shepherd king. That's who David was. He's saying, listen to my advice. Learn from my example. If you can, totally avoid it. Uh, don't, don't find yourself in a place like I found myself where for a year uh, I had been in sin and I didn't repent of it until Nathan had to come and tell me. Uh, and show me my sin. No, if you find yourself in there, immediately turn to God. Learn from my mistake and embrace God's grace. Save yourself from the spiritual and emotional and physical suffering I talked about. And in verses 9 and the beginning of verse 10, he, he shows us what happens when grace is rejected. All right, verse 9. Don't be like a horse or as a mule. They have no understanding. Whose mouth must be held in with a bit and bridle. They've got to be controlled lest they come near unto thee. David's saying, don't get to the place where, where God has to use a heavy hand on, on you to bring you to him. David kept short accounts with God, even in that year. But if you look most of the time, when David's confronted with sin, it's immediate response of confession and, and forsaking that sin, repenting of it. And that's what David encourages us to do. The second you sense the Holy Spirit's conviction from the word of God, don't run away from him. Run to him. Don't be like Adam and Eve, hiding in the garden, trying to fix things your own way. Run to him. He's fixed it through Jesus Christ. Verse 10, the very beginning of it, many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Such a, a stark contrast to being surrounded by his mercy or songs of deliverance. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Uh, don't, don't be like that. There's nothing but sorrow here. There's nothing but roaring of body and spirit. There's nothing but uh, lack of vitality if we don't. Uh, it affected David. And often that, that same negative uh, effect goes to other people, right? To spouse, to children, can even happen to grandchildren, coworkers. We never sin in a vacuum. It affected, did David's sin affect other people? It affected Bathsheba. Did it affect Uriah? It affected Uriah. Did David's sin affect his family? We see that afterwards. Uh, the sword shall not depart from your house. Uh, Absalom rebels does a coup attempt on him late in his life sin effects turn to god turn to him for grace have grace received the second part of verse 10 he that trusteth in the lord mercy mercy shall compass him about instead of sorrows we're surrounded by mercy hebrew word there is chesed in different versions it might say loving kindness steadfast love it's talking about god's relationship with you it's talking about god's grace it's the only reason we have relationship with god he came to us, he, he died for us, he rose for us, he's returning for us. God did this, 
It's God's doing, grace alone, and it's our faith in his grace alone that brings us into chesed, mercy, eternal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And when this is our experience, verse 11 is true about us. When we stop trying to hide our sin, when we stop trying to minimize our need for God's grace, uh, when we stop lying and trying to construct our way of dealing with the effects of sin and instead we humbly bow in, in relief. You can almost hear an ah. And that, that you've paid it all and I'm turning to you. Dependent confession and repentance. You know what you get? You get what verses 1 and 2 promised and what verse 11 promises. You get gladness. You get joy. Because of that imputed righteousness. You didn't deserve it. He, he gave it to you in Jesus Christ. And those who have that imputed righteousness, they're legally declared right before God. That astounding, amazing thing we talked about earlier, justification. Those who have imputed righteousness and are positionally right before God for eternity, they also have practical righteousness. Because the Holy Spirit came and lived in them. That same moment that they were born again, they were regenerated, they were justified. And now they have imparted righteousness of the Holy Spirit taking God's word and they, they can say no to sin. They can say no to sin. People who have been justified have the ability to overcome. That's what we learned in, in 1 John. Uh, it's ours. This is what he says. He calls us righteous there. Man, I was an adulterer before this. Now you're righteous. Shout for joy, upright in heart. I was a murderer before this. No, you're righteous. You're upright in heart. The blood of Jesus is pretty powerful, isn't it? blood of Jesus is pretty powerful. Why do we keep trying to do other things? Why do we do that? Have you ever come to accept God's grace to you in Jesus? Here, those watching online, uh, have you accepted Christ and what he has done for you? Stop trying to uh, work your way to heaven, experience the forgiveness of sin, the restoration and reconciliation, the ah that comes when you confess and forsake your sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone and God's grace to us in Christ. There's, there's no greater need. There's no greater gift. There's no greater grace than what is provided to us in Christ. If you've never done that, I'd encourage you to do that tonight, even right now, right where you are. Call out to him. If you've got questions, please contact us. Look at the back of the bulletin. Go to our website. We have on uh, there what it means to be saved. But Christian, you who have come to faith in God's grace have you veered off course? Have you allowed some sin to become a wall or an obstacle between you and God? Well, do the same thing you did when you came to him. That's how we continue in him. The Christian life is one of repentance. From the moment it starts until he calls us home or, or he comes to get us, until we're glorified. It's a continual life of repentance, growing closer to God, becoming holier, becoming more sanctified and more like Jesus, being conformed to his image. Stop fighting it. Embrace grace in a time when God may be found. Seek the Lord when he is near. Don't spend another second in spiritual suffering and physical roaring because of pride. Run to the arms of your loving Father. That's what David's encouraging us to do. That's his testimony for us. We're going to be controlled by one of two things. Before we come to Christ and in Christ. We're going to be controlled by guilt. It's a bad place to be. Satan likes to put Christians there. He don't want them to confess and repent. A guilty Christian, not a very powerful Christian. Doesn't have much of a witness. Doesn't even know if he's saved. Constantly going back and forth, wondering if he's a believer. That's what a guilty Christian is. Or we can be controlled by grace. When you're controlled by grace, 
He turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ, like those apostles did. And that's what he wants in our lives. We're going to sing a couple songs here about what God's done for us. Uh, we're going to sing a song of dependence on him, that we need him every hour. I'm going to ask Tommy and the praise team to come. Uh, and then we're going to sing about what his grace did for us, what his love did for us, that it lifted us. And as we sing those, I pray that you, if there's anything in your life you need to unload and let the blood of Jesus Christ and his cross take care of, do it as we sing that. And, um, and then go out and share that amazing grace with others.